all match day two fixtures are now complete as own goals lead to the Golden Boot Race. Cristiano Ronaldo is sweet enough without sugar, and we all found out just how hungry we were for a shock result. I'm James Zabo, he's Nick Williamino, and this is the Continental Breakfast. Thanks to Sportsmate Mobile, TLA, and the Euro 2020 Live app. Please download it today. Nico. In the audience's most important mental meal of their day, we will scramble over some highlights, toast some lowlights, and serve up whatever's left over. Nico, I want to ask you this question. What's bigger, your excitement for the tournament or your caffeine intake? Yeah, well, Jimmy, it's it's hard to beat the old coffee consumption at the moment. It's the only thing I'm running off, to be honest. It's been... Oh, mate, especially with the 11... PM games mm. gone here in Australia. So that's right. We're now at two AM and five AM. It's it. been some long nights, but it's been exciting. It has um, been. I wanted to know, Nico, from match day two, who was your hero? My hero was Andrei Yarmolenko, the Ukraine man, the national hero for Ukraine. And, mm. you know, they, they were going into this game against North Macedonia needing to win. Obviously, they lost that game previously against the Netherlands, the five goal thriller. Yep. You had it as your game of the week last time. And Yamalenko did score in that one, but, you know, they were going into this game needing to win to keep their chances alive. Mm -hmm. And he did grab that goal and assist. He was the architect in the first half. And obviously they went on to win 2-1 thanks to his goal contributions. But just the ability to, you know, the the pressure's on his shoulders with these types of players uh, being the main man for the team, stands up when his country needs him. And thanks to him, Ukraine are now sitting in second. They're in the driver's seat in Group C, level on points and goal difference with Austria in third. And that's obviously their next opponent. So that's mm. going to be a massive game. Yeah, well, you said thanks to him. Uh, like I said last week, not all of uh, the Ukrainians uh, love him. I said half love him, half <laughs> thought he was overrated after his performance. Now I think they all love him. What is it, two goals and an assist? Yep. He didn't score in 15 appearances for West Ham, but I think the the international football, uh, you know, you get the best out of him. Um, I liked his – did you see his post-match press conference? I did. Yeah, I with, did. The, with the Coke bottle. So he, he said, oh, you know, obviously Ronaldo's been uh, putting these aside. Uh, he put Coca-Cola in front and Heineken and said, the guys, call me. So he's uh, – It was in a good mood. He was in sure. a good mood. He's a good character. And you, and you like that in international football. So Absolutely. it was very impressive. My hero, Nico, yep. is Kevin De Bruyne. Now, this performance yeah. was insane. Now, this was obviously it's an emotional day for Denmark um, who were, you know, trying to do it for Ericsson and uh, it was their first um, game back after that incident. Um, but Kevin De Bruyne comes on at halftime. It's his first appearance since that eye injury in the in the Champions League and he completely turned the game on its head. Now, in the first half, Denmark dominated. They were controlling position. They were controlling the game. They had more shots than um, than uh, Belgium, who is you know, obviously usually an attacking threat and we saw what they can do with Lukaku but Roberto Martinez his his uh implementation of De Bruyne was fantastic so he put him on he didn't just put him in midfield he played him as like a false nine and which pushed Lukaku out to the right and De Bruyne found the space that wasn't possible in the first half and his influence on that on that game that's what won them the game and obviously they can be a little bit vulnerable in the back Belgium but when they're attacking and you've got De Bruyne in good form, Lukaku's getting, you know, in those one-on-one um, positions because of De Bruyne playing that pass out, Belgium are, uh, are a real threat. And I thought he was – there's no one else who played uh, a bigger part than him um, 
in match day two. I know you might think Gosens did, and, and, and that's a fair call. But I think De Bruyne had to literally come on and change the game. It's very hard to do that on the international stage. Yeah, he is the best midfielder in the world, in my mm. opinion. Um, and obviously you, you do see players that like to stand up more for their country or more for their club, but he does it at both levels. He obviously made the Premier League team of the season this year. Uh, last season as well, he was the Premier League player of the year. So, mm. yeah, he's just quality. Um, and he comes in for Belgium and does that in 45 minutes. So he's obviously got a massive impact on whatever team he plays in. I just love him. I love his character. And it, it's funny to know that, you know, when he signed his contract extension at Man City, he didn't have an agent pushing for it. What he did was he got data analysts and he said, yeah, put together all the numbers. I'm going to prove what influence I make. And that's how he got his his raise. Yeah. He's a very intelligent man, De Bruyne. And you can see when he, when he plays on the pitch too. Nico, what was your highlight? My highlight was Germany. For me, That this is the the performance of the tournament so far. Mm -hmm. They flex their muscle against Portugal, winning 4-2 against, obviously, the reigning uh, European champion. So, But going into the game, they had so much pressure on their shoulders to win this. Obviously, they lost that first game 1-0 to France because of the Mats Hummels' uh, own goal. So they, they go into this game needing to win. Uh, their confidence would have been shot. Mm. Um, but they had no time to feel sorry for themselves uh, playing after losing to the world champions, they go up against the reigning European champions and they they couldn't really afford to grab anything less than the three points. And to add to that as well, they go one nil down early because of the Cristiano Ronaldo goal. So you yeah. could imagine how flat they would have been. Um, so, but the, the quality in their side, obviously still a few players from that 2014 World Cup. They stood up when they needed to. They picked themselves up, scored four unanswered goals and twisted roundabouts. They get two own goals of their own. Yeah. Um, and to take the lead and Robin Gosens, mate, the Atalanta man, your man, yeah. uh, grabbing a goal and an assist, but also being involved in all four, all four goals. Of them, yeah. It was, it was unbelievable. Um, but it was just a great all-round performance. And all of a sudden from, you know their hopes were almost shot after that first loss to France. All of a sudden it puts them in the box seat to progress. Mm. And with Hungary, their next opponent, uh, you'll be back in them. You'd be sure. back in, you'd be back in Germany. And the fans are not used to, I think, uh, and you, you hear them speaking about this. I'm not just trying to make it up, but German fans would go to the stadium usually saying, you know, they expect the team to perform at a high level. This is the first time that they're, they're like, we've got to push them over the line. We've got to get behind this team. And they really felt it after. And like you said, going going down 1-0 early on and they've been saying, we're working on our set pieces. That's our biggest threat. And then they cop a goal from one of their set pieces on the counter. Um, defensively, they looked they looked rocked. And you, you, weren't, you didn't see, you didn't think they'd be able to get back from that. And they did. And Gosens, like you mentioned, unbelievable. There were calls for him to be dropped after the first game. And he played a part in all four goals and I like the way that the Germans play. So they've got Muller, Kimmich, Gundogan on the right and what happens when you've got that class and quality on the right hand side, Portugal kind of shift to the right slowly, slowly. You saw how many times on the left Gosens got um, got free, created that space, his attacking threat on the left, all four goals, unbelievable. One of the biggest stories of this game I think is when they play, Atalanta played Juventus in a game and um, after the game Gosens went up to Ronaldo and said, oh, can we swap, swap shirts? And Ronaldo didn't even look at him and he just said no nah. and he walked away and he said Jeez. and he said I felt so little I felt embarrassed and after that game they beat Ronaldo's side he didn't say anything to Ronaldo but it was just you know, a little bit of karma. he would have been thinking of he would have been sure, thinking of it mate. so it was a little bit of a, a good that. moment for him <laughs> so brilliant for sure 
Nico, there were uh, heaps of highlights. My biggest highlight was the the Hungarian performance against yep. France. The one one. Uh, draw uh, in front of the 60, 65,000 at um, Pushkas Arena in Budapest. Um, it, it was amazing that that crowd, that experience, um, to see that. And after COVID, obviously, we haven't seen big crowds in a long, long time. It was rocking. It was shaking. Imagine being there. You could feel it on watching Absolutely. it on TV, how big the atmosphere was. Um but it was their final. It was their final. No one predicted them to win. No one predicted them to have a chance, especially after going 3-0 down to, to Portugal, losing that one, to come up against the world champs, France. Um, they defended with everything, and then they lose their captain uh, in the first well, 15 minutes odd. They're missing their best player, Shobles Lai. You know, they looked gone and out of it. They're defending for their life. France have, um, have chances to score. They go up, they've got one chance Fiola scores it, uh, and it was one of the biggest moments in Hungarian football history. I think celebrations. That the, the celebration scenes. was huge, unbelievable. Galashi was amazing in goals. They held on in the second half. Obviously, the goal was coming. It was it was a disappointing goal to, to concede as well because the two defenders allowed it to bounce and. When you allowed it to bounce uh, deep in defence like that, anything can happen and they were always going to score France. But to hold on for a draw was yep. tremendous. And just to add, this is this is a nation who, who not that they expect greatness, but they, they feel like it's just around the corner. And we know in the 1950s, Hungary were the most dominant side in football, in world football. They went on a 30-match uh, undefeated streak. They went to the World Cup final against West Germany, 2-0 <laughs> up, and they He's lose. He's going to get a bit emotional. No, there, uh, you, hear, you hear about it. You hear about yeah. the, the magical Magyars and the uh, Adyad oh, Pushkas it. and how, how big this this team was and the nation was. And now um, this is a brilliant moment for that um, for that nation. And th- they'll probably go and lose to Germany because it is in Germany, but you never know. But they made the story about themselves, which I love. Obviously, France being the world champions, they lose. A lot of the attention usually goes towards, you know, the losing teams if they're one of the big sides. But, yeah. you know, Hungary made it about themselves. The headlines were all, was all about Hungary yep. and how good they were and, you know, what it meant to the uh, supporters, the country. So it was really great to see. It was. It was good to see. Nico, plenty of highlights, a few lowlights. What was your biggest lowlight from Yeah, well, talk about disappointment with France. Mm. My lowlight was Spain. Um, Obviously, it's been about 10 years since their golden generation, but they're two games into the Euros now, and they've got another draw. They've got two draws to start the tournament, this time against Poland, following on from their draw against Sweden in the Mm. first game. These are games they should be winning, Jimmy. Uh, they're, they're sitting third yeah. now with one game to go in the group stages, one point behind Slovakia, who is their next opponent. So they have to win. A draw won't be enough. Um, and, I mean, it, it's just disappointing to see some of the players, the big names. Alvaro Morata, your man as disappointment. well. Disappointment. He's not my man anymore. <laughs> <laughs> He's just having a nightmare tournament. He, he, he didn't is. bring his shooting boots at all. Uh, and, it, oh, I mean, I'm not sure if he ever does, to be honest, but <laughs> Gerard Moreno as well, missing the pr- penalty, the crucial yeah. penalty. Um, nothing is just going right for them at the moment. Nothing and, is. No, they, uh, the journalists and the pundits in Spain are saying this is the worst Spanish side they've ever seen. They're, yeah. they're not afraid to let their feelings show. Um, yeah, it looks really bad. I mean, the way they're playing – that. A few players have come out and said they don't really enjoy the way they're playing. They're over-possessing their, their quick passes. It's not the speed and let's attack. It's over-possessing the football, the tiki-taka in the places they shouldn't be doing tiki-taka. So yeah. uh, it's interesting to see what, what what's going to happen here. They should progress anyway. They, they might end up with England and um, anything can happen. We know that tournaments can flip on its head. I mean, France is an example in the World Cup. They didn't start too flash. They end up winning the World Cup. 
things can change. But when you're looking at signs, there's not many good signs for Spain at the moment. So Not at all. A disappointment, another disappointment. Speaking of Spain, they might face England. England were my biggest low light of match day two. They were and because I was a little bit harsh last week when I said they celebrated a bit too much, they got uh, <laughs> they got carried away with their one nil win like they against do. Croatia, like which they is fair do. enough. It was more relief, but to come out against Scotland, if you don't get up for a game against Scotland, I mean something's missing. Something's not working um, in that group, and there was those those calls that. This is a different English side. This is an English side who gets along. They're playing Uno in camp. They're loving each other's company. They come out against Scotland and they looked fatigued. Mm. They looked leggy. Uh, you know, Harry Kane is not working hard enough or he's not. He's looking like he's lacking confidence. And they had less shots than a Scotland side who on paper shouldn't even be close. Great, great performance for Scotland. It was fantastic. But you listen to Michael Richards, right, and he's been there. He's been in an English camp and he said, we've always had good players. We've never had a really a good team, good yeah. chemistry, where people love playing with each other and they, they think about team first. And you can see that. And yeah. it's disappointing because they were calling – after the first, first match, it's coming home, it's coming home. This match, they booed England off yeah. the pitch, the fans. Biggest disappointment. They'll get through. They'll get through the group, but something has to change dramatically. And Southgate, questions have been asked. You know how big the heat is over there on him. Um, He'll have to do something to get a good performance out of them going forward because I don't see much from England. Well, that's I put it down to poor management from Southgate, and we don't usually say that often about him. He is a good manager after all, but I I just I don't think that he changed the team enough. This is he went with a similar lineup. Pretty yeah. much the same team except for the fullbacks that he did against Croatia. Went with those two holding midfielders. And it's fair enough to do that against Croatia because they can hurt you. They've got weapons. But against Scotland, England is a far better side on paper, like you said. They should be dominating. They should be putting the pressure on um, in attack. And they've got the attacking weapons. They've got the they've attacking got depth. There. They've got exactly. them all there. He changed at the end. He put Rashford. But, but the thing was, and they got asked this question, I think, in the presser or a following interview, and they said, why didn't you make the big calls and the big changes? And he said, well, because it's a tournament. We don't need to think for now. So it's like he conceded this is a draw. We can't win it. Let's just hold on and we've still got a chance to progress. Now, is that the right move? We'll see in the future if that is the right move. But it's a different mentality, isn't it? Because you think with the weapons we've got, let's go and win this. Exactly. And they've got so, depth. And when you're playing three yeah. games a couple uh, within each other, uh, you've got three days rest between games, I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, switch around the squ- squad. Keep it fresh. You've got Sancho who could have come off on the bench. Um, Rashford, like you said. Grealish could have started, I think. Um, switch it around a bit. But... He, he didn't. He went with the same team and it reflected can the happen performance. Though, Nico. We'll, see, can. we'll see what happens. Early days. That's right. Let's burn the midnight oil, Nico. Tell me what game you're looking forward to in the final match day. There's so many because it is the last game in the group stages. But it's tight and tough. It's a good. It's been a good it, tournament. And it sorry, is. I didn't want to interrupt you, but no. this is this is a good tournament, especially because we haven't been talking about too many referee decisions. It's now, true. usually the referees take the spotlight because there'll be a huge decision. I mean, there's there's a few ones we disagree with, but they haven't really stolen the spotlight. So I've I'm been happy with it. how they've been going. So by, so totally. by. Um, but, yeah, I think the two games in Group F, which is that group of death, uh, both games are being played at the same time, Portugal versus France yep. and Germany versus Hungary. All four teams are still a mathematical chance to progress. Mm. So France first versus Portugal third, and then you got Germany second versus Hungary fourth. But, you know, we, they're all within a couple of points uh, within each other and there's infinite possibilities of 
how this plays out. So, you know, get your popcorn and your coffee ready because it's a 2 a.m. start here in <laughs> Australia. Um, that's going to be a thrilling night for sure. It will be a thrilling night. I've got question marks over Portugal, especially the way they're defending. Um, it looks uh, – I don't know. They, they do look a bit um, – Burnt out, I feel. I don't know what it is. There was a stat that that showed how many games they've played since what was it May last year, and there's been a, there's been a whole there's been a big overload, and they don't look they don't have the depth. Portugal, in my opinion, especially down back. So it'll be interesting to see what they can do against Germany. My one I'm looking forward to is Slovakia and Spain. Now Spain have to win. They do. They can't this afford a, a draw. This story. is huge. This is huge on the nation. Yep. The whole nation. We know how big football is over there. They are not going to be forgiving if they don't get. It will be a win an, here. An embarrassment. For the yeah. country. The Slovaks, they beat Poland. They lost 1-0 to Sweden. But anything can happen. So Slovakia can go through if they beat Spain. And uh, and Poland, Poland will go through if they win. Anything could happen. You wouldn't put it past them getting the job done against his Spanish side. So it's well, one I'm, I'm definitely Confidence is a to. massive thing. It is. It is. Both Nico. sides. Yep. And confidence from you as well. This is a good. <laughs> this is a good performance. Thank I hope. You, Jimmy. I hope I can back it up because I've got an interview with the one and only Michael Zapponi coming up after this. It's all I've got time for from me and Nico. But stick around for that, uh, and hashtag the Continental Breakfast to get involved in the show. We want to hear your thoughts, guys. So please get involved. Give us all your predictions, your feedback, your abuse. Send it to Nico. He loves it. I Send love it, it as well. But stick around for that Michael Zapponi interview. This has been the Continental Breakfast. Okay, today's guest is one of the most loved presenters in the Australian football landscape. His love of the sport, passion for broadcasting and incredible knowledge of football has seen him commentate, host and report for Fox Sports over the past 10 years, as well as cover World Cups, countless prestigious tournaments and even the Olympic Games. Most people call him Michael Zaboni. I like to call him Michael the Stallion because his Ferrari-like drive to excite and entertain the Italo-Australian community through his love of culture is truly appreciated by all. It is my great privilege and pleasure to introduce Zappers to the Continental Breakfast. How are you, mate? Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you. That's the best intro anyone's ever put together for me. <laughs> so uh, thanks so much. No, you deserve it, Zappers. There's a lot of football going on, mate. Not just the Euros. Obviously, the Socceroos are playing too. Copper America. You never miss, miss a minute. How's the last couple of weeks been for the body clock? Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I uh, you have to pick your battles. I think um, Optus Sports doing a great job and uh, you can catch up with mini matches and uh, highlights in the morning. So you can't stay up and watch uh, every mm. single game, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, I've chosen to... to watch the Italy games, obviously, with my Italian heritage, and uh, they've been super impressive. And what I love is that a lot of people are surprised by uh, Italy, but those mm. who've been following the Italian national team since Mancini took over um, realise that, you know, th- this is something special and it's been coming for some time. And uh, it's interesting talking to the casual observer and reminding them that, you know, in 2018, Italy weren't at the World Cup. And and I still, <laughs> I'm still surprised when, when you say those words out aloud. It was such a shock for the football world to not have Italy there in 2018. But what it did mean was a massive rebuild and mm. a change in coach and a change in structure and a change in personnel. And uh, we're now seeing the fruits of that labour. And Mancini's done a fantastic job. And the way he changed his team against Wales was brilliant. Um, obviously, rotating, uh, freshening up um, some some of his players that had played in the previous two games. And and the team that uh, came in against Wales did the job as well. And uh, some great stories in there that uh, that uh, you know we saw the goal scorer Vecino scoring, and uh, he wasn't even in the squad, of mm. course, uh, when it was first announced. So. 
You know, he hasn't been scared to name players from uh, teams like Sassuolo and some of the smaller clubs in Italy. Uh, and, and it's been to the Italian national team's uh, benefit. Mm-hmm. Zappas, I'll ask you specifically about the Euro just a bit later. I want to ask about yourself first. I know you don't like talking about yourself much, which is why you went into that stuff about the Euros. But it's yeah. great to speak to you, Zappas, sober. Um, I can't really remember what I said to you last <laughs> time at the wedding when you emceed Dario and Sarah's wedding. And he did ask me to, me- uh, to mention that because uh, he loves a shout out, Dario. Yeah. Um, I have a feeling we had a good chat, though. Um, you're doing emceeing, you're hosting president lunches, you're taking your son to football training, you're commentating, you're running your own business. What, what does an average week look like for you? Yeah, it's busy. I don't I don't have many uh, spare hours in the day. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when I'm at football training with my sons, I uh, tend to get the laptop out and uh, watch from the car <laughs> these days and, and squeeze in some work. But, um, yeah, Monday to Friday I run a, a, a PR company, um, which, which I set up three years ago. And my um, background was in media and public relations. And I, I, I sort of manage that part of my life um, all the way through as at the same time uh, managing a football and media career. So really the, the work I've done in the media has, has really been um, something I've always added to my work commitments. So Monday to Friday, I had a Monday to Friday job. And then in addition to that, midweek evenings and weekends, I, I was doing my um, radio and Fox sports work. And, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's quite hectic. So um, there's, there's no real set uh, nine to five or, or Monday to Friday for me. It's really seven days a week. And, and um, at this time of the year when the Euros are on and other big events are on, it's, um, it's nonstop. It's, it's long hours, but you enjoy it. So um, it, it's not a really great answer to your question, but um, <laughs> there's no real rhythm. It's, um, That's right, yeah. You do, you do what, you, what you need to do to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Zap, you, you grew up in Faulkner, the, uh, the northern suburbs of Melbourne. You played for Faulkner as well. I think they were called the Azzurri. You wore the yeah. blue kids. Uh, I think your nonno and your dad would take you to training um, and games. Is that where your love of football came from? Absolutely. Yeah. Dad's, um, dad's, uh, I love my dad, but he, he's not really sporty. So it was my, my grandfather okay, was, yeah. was the one that, uh, would, um, take me to the games and, uh, my dad would take me to training. My grandfather would go and watch uh, Faulkner play on a Sunday and, mm-hmm. and that was his outing with his mates. You know, he'd walk to the ground. We could walk together. Uh, I was, you know, probably six, seven, eight, nine years old at the time and go on with him and, uh, and with my mates at the ground and then he, he, he hang out with his mates at the ground. Mm. And, uh, and that was sort of how I started to um, fall in love with the game. And then obviously started playing. And I think under eights was, was the first time I played at Faulkner. And, you know, back then you, you're playing on a full size pitch, you know, there was no, none of this small side football. So you can imagine seven year olds running, running around on a, on a full size pitch. It was, it was mayhem, but uh yeah, played for Faulkner and um, absolutely loved uh, my involvement in the sport. And um, I, I was never going to be good enough to, to play professionally, but, um, you know, Faulkner was a good community, great club. I lived in the area. Um, and then I continued sort of playing um, when I went to school and then I played at, I started up a soccer club myself at St. Kevin's. I went to school at St. Kevin's in the latter years and uh, set, set up the St. Kevin's Old Boys Soccer Club and and uh, that was in 1999. So they're still going today, which is great. Mm-hmm. And uh, they play in State League Division 5, but um, it's a great social club and and I hope that one day my uh, my boys can play there as well. So, yeah, my, my love of the game, I suppose, uh, goes beyond 
broadcasting and and uh, working in the media it's uh it's at every level so um yeah i, I tend to get down and watch uh, st kevin's play uh, a couple of times a year and it's, it's great to go down there and watch some some football as well is there there's a pony award there at, at st kevin's is it named after you it was one, well, it was actually uh, a really nice uh, honour, um, which was um, introduced just this year. So, uh, yeah, so because I set up the Old Boys Soccer Club, um, they um, surprised me with that earlier this year. And uh, they have a, a, an annual game with um, the first 11 team from the school. So the first 11 team were made up of, you know, your 9, your 10, 11, your 12 boys play against the Old Boys Soccer Club um, as part of their pre-season preparation. Um, and it probably doesn't surprise you that the Old Boys uh, lose against the first 11 boys at the school, even though these kids are still 15, 16, yeah. 15 years of age. They're, they're all very good uh, yeah. at those schools. Um, a lot of those boys play for Melbourne City and Melbourne Victory, uh, and, and they're all part of those academy setups. So, yeah, the first Zaponi medal was uh, was handed out uh, earlier this year for the best on ground in that game. So, yep. yeah, a lovely, a lovely touch. I don't deserve it, but, um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the, the young do, man mate, who you won that medal that day, his, his name is Seb Esposito and mm-hmm. uh, he's at Melbourne City. He's in yep. year 10. So, um, yeah, look out for him. I'm sure he'll um, come through the ranks and probably play A-League uh, one day very soon. Mm. Where did that uh, love of reporting and journalism come from then? It came from uh, when, when I was in at school, I, I, I wanted to become a journalist. So um, okay, yeah. certainly... Uh, uh, one thing that I, I wanted to pursue and uh, I did my work experience at a radio station uh, called 3AK. Uh, 3AK was sort of like a, a talk station um, in Melbourne and they, um, yeah, gave me the opportunity to go in there and as a year 10 student do work experience as, as kids do these days. And um, uh, it was I was lucky enough to then, you know, hang around and be offered opportunity to go on the weekends and year, sorry, in year 11 and year 12, I, I would go in there on the weekends and on a Sunday or a Saturday and, and just do some work and, and learn how to write news stories and read news stories and um, sort of got involved um, whilst I was still at school. And then I was lucky enough that they offered me a job when I finished year 12. So uh, they gave me a cadetship and I sort of worked for next to nothing for three years uh, as part of my sort of apprenticeship. Mm. But I learned that was great three years because I learned everything in, to, in the radio station, whether that was how to operate a panel, how to uh, transfer music from LPs to carts, <laughs> um, how to you know, DJ, how to splice, uh, edit interviews, mm-hmm. uh, all those sorts of things. Um, uh, I learned in those first three years and uh, it was how I fell in love with um, radio. And then as a result of that, uh, on that radio station, they had um, started to cover sport and uh, the National Soccer League uh, in those days. So I was there in 93. So the NSL was was still going and in its heyday. And um, they had a, a show called Super Soccer Sunday, which was then hosted by a guy called Greg Blake, who's still involved in, in the game, Greg Blake in, in Victoria, and he commentates games for Football Victoria. Yeah, Blakey uh, was the first sort of commentator I uh, worked alongside and, um, and and I still catch up with him to this day. So that's where I fell in love with football broadcasting. We, we commentated NSL games and, um, and Victorian Premier League games as they were... Uh, at the time and uh, did that for a few years and, and absolutely loved it. 
you never I, I love watching you when you when you commentate or when you're interviewing players but I think from a young age you were you met some heroes didn't you I think it was 1984 um Paolo Rossi actually came over with Juventus and trained at Faulkner you would have been maybe 10 years old and you got to see uh the star himself was that was that the first kind of um moment that you were uh, starstruck maybe yeah absolutely um as a young kid you know watching the Serie A on, on TV or watching the Italian World Cups uh, once every four years and seeing these stars, yeah, absolutely, as a 10-year-old. Uh, and it's not like today because we, we, we don't follow them on Instagram. You know, 84, yeah. there, was, there was no Instagram, <laughs> there was no Facebook. So you, you, you sort of can't interact with the players or see them, every movement mm. um, back then. So it was a bit of an aura about them, more of an aura about them, I suppose. And the, my, my greatest recollection of that day was it was just mayhem, you know, uh, people everywhere. Uh, the, the, the ground had never been so packed. The bus rolls in. People are trying to, you know, get an autograph. They're jumping on top of the players. They're, the security's trying to keep them away. It was just bedlam. They're trying to get into the change room to, to get changed to train. And uh, you've never seen so many people at CB Smith Reserve. So you got a, you got a glance and a glimpse of, of what was happening. But yeah, you, yeah it was, I think you described it correctly. You were awestruck at uh, watching those players so close up. Mm-hmm. Uh, having not experienced that before. Mm. I wanted, obviously the Euros are on now. I wanted to ask you of your, your earliest memories of an international tournament. Um, was Would have that been the 82 World Cup? Um, I think you were, yeah. you were, like you said, with your grandfather was uh, uh, was a big fan. So were you over at his house watching the, the World Cup in 1982? Absolutely. As a <laughs> seven-year-old, I think, yes. So, yeah, it would have been uh, yeah, seven years of age and... Um, <laughs> We would sleep at my grandfather's house. He lived around the corner from us, and uh, gather around the, the one TV in the home and uh, and, and watch it. Um, I'm not sure if it was SBS or ABC TV at, at that time, but um, you know the, the vague the vague recollection of everyone getting up and uh, in the middle of the night to, to watch that uh, watch that final was um, one of my very earliest memories of um, watching um, a big tournament. And uh, obviously, Italy winning that tournament was a um, great celebration. And uh, I think my grandfather's obviously uh, passed at the uh, passed on now. But uh, one of the things he had in his house, and I think most Italian you know, grandparents had in their house, was that uh, photo of the the team. You know, when they line up before the game, and uh, the Italian newspaper Globo put out a special edition, and uh, it was a you know a framed version of that colour photo um, and uh, it, it sat proudly in, in every Italian's house uh, and, and and even when we were cleaning out his house, that was uh, that was still up on the wall. So, um, yeah, it was a very special, very special memory. You're a bit young then to celebrate, but how did you celebrate 2006? 2006, I was lucky enough to be in Germany for the, um, yeah, for the yeah. World Cup. So I, was, I wasn't working as a journalist, but I was there with my mates and... Um, uh, I was doing some work for, for SEM, the sports radio station there, just doing daily reports, but um, not not commentating games as such. So, mm. um, yeah, it was brilliant. We went there following the Australian national team. So we had a choice, obviously, when you allocate your tickets to follow your team and, mm. and uh, being born in Australia, I absolutely wanted to follow the Socceroos. So that was a great Socceroos team. And, um a lot of Italians uh, or Australians of Italian background had a dilemma, didn't they? In the yeah. round of round of sixteen game, was who you would follow. My mm-hmm. story was I went to the early part of the tournament, and the packages that were being offered were 
you know, follow Australia in the first part of the tournament and, and, and then you go home because no one expected <laughs> yeah. to go on beyond yeah. group stage. But we, we went beyond, beyond that and, and played Italy in the round of 16. So my trip in Germany finished uh, after the round of 16. So I actually then um, went to Italy to, to meet up with my family in Italy and my, my, uh, my wife was, was in Italy and so I met up with her. But obviously, uh, when you're with your family in Italy, uh, it's a it's a very different scenario because you're there watching uh, the Italian national team. Mm-hmm. But I've got to say, even up until an hour before the game, I still wasn't sure who I wanted to follow yep. in that Australia v Italy game. And I was sitting in Italy with all my Italian cousins, um, but I I felt like I, I my heart was really with the Australian national mm-hmm. team um, for that game. So yeah, I was very much behind the Socceroos in that game. The Socceroos and uh, disappointed obviously when they got knocked out. Uh, having said that, once the game was over and all my cousins went out, uh, <laughs> I was in Rimini at the time. So when once we, I don't know if you've ever been to Rimini, but it is a, yep. it is a party, a party town. And so once that final whistle went and we digested the result, I did quickly swap my Socceroos jersey for my Italian jersey. And we went out and celebrated in Rimini that that win. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's 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 the dilemma of of, of uh, most Australian Italians, I suppose. But yeah, um, yeah from that point on, uh, I, I was able to watch the tournament in in Italy, and then for, I think for the final, I came home and and watched it for, with my mates um, mm-hmm. with my mates in Australia, we all gathered at one house and uh, and celebrated when 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 we won. I think we we're probably a bit old to head down to Ligon Street, so we just. <laughs> <laughs> celebrated at home and uh, yeah. had, a, had a good night. Yeah, brilliant. Um, I asked Daniel Garb last week about covering an international tournament, and for him, it still sticks with you know one of the, the career highlights. And it, it's hard for him even to explain the the atmosphere and what that feels like. You got to cover a World Cup or go over there and report. What was that feeling like for you? Yeah, brilliant. I was there at the last World Cup in Russia uh, with Optus Sport, and um, I was lucky enough to be given the role of being on the ground um, in Russia following the Socceroos. So my my role was the Socceroos insider, if you like. So follow every step of the way, what the Socceroos were doing, get there, you know, a week before the, the tournament started and and go to every training session, try and find out what they were eating for breakfast, all that, all that <laughs> level of detail. But yeah. um, really hectic schedule because you're sort of working in time, time zones over there versus time zones here, mm. catering to this audience. But, yeah, being in Kazan primarily, which is where the Socceroos were based. Um, what a great city, what a great country Russia was. They put on a f- fantastic show. I suppose when it hits you is when you're standing pitch side just before a game and you are and and you, and you see a full stadium at a World Cup uh, and, and you see, you know, us playing against France and, and all the stars of the French national team warming up literally in touching distance from you, um, it, it, it sort of hits you then, and uh, the national anthems, and and you, and then you, and you're there sitting pitch side uh, whilst all that's happening is is quite surreal. And I suppose the other insight that that you get when you're there that you you don't see when you're sitting at home watching it, or even if you're at the tournament watching it in the grandstand, is then the ability as a host broadcaster to be in the mix zone. So after a game, the players come through. Um, the, the change rooms and once they've had their showers, they then face the, the press. And yes, my job was very much to get the Australian reaction to each game. Mm-hmm. But then for every one of our opponents, um, 
then it was my job to try and find a player that we could talk to, that could speak English, uh, that we could get an interview with. So as an example, Paul Pogba um, was, was one that I knew had a good grasp of the English language playing in England. And uh, we were the, you know, the, the network that were able to get a one-on-one interview um, with, with Paul Pogba after that game. Uh, Oliver Giroud is the other one who obviously played in, we interviewed, played in England. So they're the little experiences, I suppose, that make a big difference uh, um, when, you're, when you're covering a tournament. Having that access to those sorts of players in a big tournament is, is, is just surreal. We were there when we... We watched, I think it was France, Argentina. That game was played in Kazan. So I was lucky enough to, to be pitch side for that game as well. You know, and what a, what a game that was, seeing Lionel Messi and and, and uh, Di Maria scored a screamer. Uh, Mbappe scored a, a, a brilliant goal that, that day as well. So in that environment, being there amongst it, getting the reaction of the fans, the reaction of the players after games like that is uh, stuff you dream of. Um, mm-hmm. And yes, we've seen Ronaldo here at the MCG and we've seen Messi here at the MCG, but it's different because yep. they're here and they're really sort of exhibition games and and it, it, they're on holiday almost. So it's, um, yeah, great to see them here in the flesh, but um, seeing them at a World Cup when you know it means something to them is uh, and being part of that and trying to bring that feeling back to the viewers back home is... Uh, yeah, it's a great experience. Mm. Who, who's been your favourite player to interview? I know you've interviewed some big ones, Peter Buffon. You mentioned Pogba, Diamante. You've got a good connection with him now, based in Melbourne. Who's who's been your favourite? Yeah, great question. Um, in Italy, I was lucky enough to, you know, when I was in Italy on on a holiday, it was a long, long time ago. I, I'd sort of um, thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if I could get to interview one of the um, you know, great players of, of, of the Italian national team and I follow Juventus. So I sort of um, made a beeline for Buffon one year and uh, managed to, the timing worked out well. So I had a sit-down interview with him um, at the training centre in, in Turin, which was brilliant. Uh, it was sort of a childhood dream, if you yeah. like, but uh, that was for Fox. And uh, when Del Piero was signed for for the for, uh, for Sydney FC, um, that was a huge story for Australian football. Um, given my grasp on the Italian language and, and, and his lack of grasp of the English language, uh, my boss at Fox said, you know, I want you to sit down with him. Yep. So the first thing he does is, you know, one-on-one interview with you. And I don't think Bozza was too happy because Bozza's, uh, you know, always after the big the big stories and the big yeah. interviews. But um, I think my uh, Italian language got me over the line there and uh, sitting down with Del Piero one-on-one was um was certainly a highlight as well, and uh, yeah, Diamante's been been a, a, a really a, a breath of fresh air for, mm. for the game here. So they they all um, they're all great. Um, Cannavaro um, when he came here for um, Asian Champions League, Marcello Lippi um, he was also here with the Asian Champions League. So um, they've all been you know really. Good fun moments. There's a recurring theme there, isn't there? They're all Italian. <laughs> that's right. That's right. He's a serious man, Marcello Lippi. How was that to speak to him? Very serious. Yeah, yeah. very serious. And there was no, you know, with Cannavaro, there was a bit of um, conversation before the yep. interview and uh, laughing and mm-hmm. a bit of storytelling and it's a bit of general chit-chat. But with Lippi, it was just, <laughs> you know, you've got two minutes, you've got three minutes, it, let's just get this done. Yeah. I'm moving on. So, yeah, um, you can understand that, you know, he's done it a million times before. Mm. It's part of his job and he has to tick the box. So um, I should have had Diamante there with me uh, 
because uh, that's right. Obviously, played under him at uh, at Grand Jail. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, um, speaking of uh, Lippi, it's there's no more Catanaccio approach to the Italian squad anymore after Ventura. Uh, like you said, after um, uh, he went and Mancini's taken over now, it's a different look uh, Italian side. They're playing attacking football. Uh, they've been scoring goals. They're not conceding either. Is, are the Italians your tip for the Euro or they've still got to do a little bit more? They always were for me. I think oh, good. Yeah. they were always uh, a favourite given I've watched their qualification mm. path and uh, what are we now, 30 games without uh, without a loss. Yeah. Um, 10 games without conceding without yeah. a goal. So it's no surprise to me, as I said at the start, and probably no surprise to you that they're mm-hmm. doing so well. Um, so for me, yeah, very much so. They're uh, they're my favourites for mm-hmm. the tournament. I think with France, yes, there, there is that ever-present danger of France, and Pogba seems to grow um, another leg when, he, when he's in that national team shirt. He looks so mm-hmm. good, and it's probably the system that suits him better than it does at Manchester United. So... Mm-hmm. Um, France are going to be tough to beat, but I think the Italian national team, um, I just like the the feeling. You see when they score a goal, what, what it means to mm. every single person on that bench. And um, they just seem so united um, and, and they're looking so strong all across the park to bring in an almost brand new 11 against Wales and still to get the job done and create plenty of chances and not concede a goal speaks volumes. And so the, 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 the first 11 comes back in for their knockout game and, and they'll be fresh and that's yeah. an advantage that their opponents won't have. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's 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 the tip. Yeah, that's my tip too. If, if it's not Italy, is it France then or did has your mind uh, changed after that Hungary game when they were held toward the 1-1 draw? Yeah, look, I think uh, I didn't see all of that game. I, I watched the highlights of that game. But mm-hmm. uh, Hungary in Hungary in a, in a, in a as a packed stadium, 100% capacity stadium, um, you know, it would be, wouldn't be easy yeah. uh, to, to go there and, and get the three points. So I just think, yeah, France has got the quality. They've got the experience in the big tournaments. So, so have, Brazil, so have um, Germany. Um, Germany, we saw what they were capable of against uh, Portugal mm. in their last outing. So uh, it's very hard to separate those three. But, yeah, if sitting here today, I think it's, it's an Italy France uh, final if if they don't run into each other mm-hmm. for that. Yeah. All right, Zappers, I want your golden boot prediction, your player of the tournament, and your golden glove. Gee, that's a question without notice, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> so, hey, you're good on your feet, mate. So whatever oh, comes to mind. I can't make this all about Italy, can I? But uh, Donald oh, can do it. hasn't conceded a goal yet. So that's if he fine. continues along this path, he really hasn't had a lot to do yet. So yeah, that's true. Um, so you know, if, but if he doesn't concede a goal. Uh, throughout the tournament, deep the tournament, it's probably going to be hard to to go past him. I, I don't have the list of uh, how many goal scorers there are out there at the moment, but um, Ronaldo, what? how many has he got? He's got four. I think he's got yeah four now. I think yeah. well, own goal is uh, leading the Golden Boot at the moment. He's got a goal. He's got a game to go, hasn't he, Ronaldo? He does. Have, he does have a game to go, and they might not progress. So. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't put past him scoring another a brace or a, or a hat-trick in yeah. their last game. So uh, Lukaku's in form and, and you've seen what he's done for Inter as well. So yeah, that's yeah, another yeah. possibility. Yeah, but the question I suppose then is, you know, how far did Belgium go? And, and they're probably one I admitted uh, when, I, when I was discussing, you know, who could make a final. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Belgium, you know, go deep into the tournament as well. But, mm-hmm. um, 
Yeah, I think I think uh, Lukaku has had such a good season, and um, the fact that uh, France doesn't really have a player who's going to dominate the, the the scoring sheet, they they seem to share their goals around, don't they? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I'll go with a bit of a left field one. I'll go Ronaldo because I reckon uh, I reckon he's got a couple more goals left in him. Mm-hmm. That's right, and we'll and we'll pick. Uh, why don't we pick Insigne or Spinazzola for the player of the tournament? We'll say that'll be, <laughs> be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think Insigne has probably been he's been good, but he's just lacking that that finish. He's had a yeah. couple of chances, hasn't he? Where he has, he's, he hasn't quite finished them. So uh, let's hope he works his way into uh, into that form, and and he can just you know he's probably been an eight out of ten, but just that last. Uh, bit that he needs to make it a 10 out of 10 is just some mm-hmm. of that finishing. Yeah, being that number 10 of um, Italia as well, it comes with a lot of pressure. So if he can perform with that pressure, maybe he needs to grow into that and he can he can finish off maybe in a final for us would be nice. Yeah, and I think Jorginho has been fantastic yeah. uh, for, for Italy too um, in the midfield. I, mm-hmm. I, I really like what he gives to the team and uh, and obviously we saw um, you know what he was capable of in the, in the first two and uh, Locatelli you know, he had an outstanding game. The question mm-hmm. will be, you know, does he keep his spot in the team? We saw Verratti play against uh, yeah. against Wales, um, but hard to leave Locatelli out after. That's him. right. And he played 90 minutes as well, Verratti, so he might need that rest and, and come off the bench. We'll see. Hey, Zappas, to end off, mate, I, I asked 10 quick questions to our guests. So the first thing that comes to your mind, you can, you'll answer, okay? Let's do Here it. Go. Your favourite breakfast? <laughs> uh, muesli. Usually healthy, very good. Favorite player of all time who isn't Italian? Ronaldo, only because I'm in Juventus. <laughs> good choice, so am I. That's a good choice. Uh, your favorite media football memory? So something you're involved in? Um, commentating. So I, I love commentating games. I think that's yeah. real fun. And uh, there was one goal in particular that uh, was. Earlier, earlier on in my Fox Sports days was uh, Marco Marcos Flores who played for Adelaide United, mm-hmm. and uh, he scored you know a contender for goal of the year, and it was just one of those moments that the, the Cooper Stadium was full. <clears throat> I was calling the game with Paul Trimboli, who's a legend of the game, and and um, the moment just unfolded before our eyes, and we saw it coming, so we were sort of ahead of the game in terms of the movement of the play and, and anticipating what was going to happen. And he, and he scored a brilliant goal. And mm-hmm. then the, the call was was good. Uh, Trimmers was great. And, and Flores was brilliant. So that, for me, was probably one of my favourite memories in, in terms of commentating a game um, on TV. Yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, how many coffees a day for you at the moment? Four. Four. That is not a bad number. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> is, it, is it after dinner as well? Uh, not at home, no. but uh, if I'm out, though, last night I was at my brother-in-law's house and, and uh, uh, had dinner, and yeah, definitely um, uh, after, yeah, uh, after after dinner, but mm-hmm. uh, not Monday to Friday. I tend yeah. to yeah have a come middle after dinner. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Put you to sleep. It's nice. Yeah. Uh, as memorabilia, would you rather have uh, Insigne's boot or Wojciech Szczesny's glove? Insigne's boot. Mm. Yeah, I had a feeling. Well, Wojciech Szczesny, Juventus, I try to go that way, see, but the Italian, it has to come over. Because a lot of people say, look, the boot is is very common. If you get a goalkeeper's glove, that's uh, very significant. But yeah. no, fair enough. Uh, if you could be in any European city right now, where would it be? Rome. Your favourite beer? 
because I, I live on the Mornington Peninsula, so I'm spoiled with choice here. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of good local um, brews, so... Um, but, uh, yeah, I'll go the, the, the Four Pines. The Four Pines uh, yeah. Pale Ale is very good. Yeah, I like that too. Uh, who's your least favourite person to interview? Oof, that's a tough one. Least favourite person to interview? Ange Postacoglu. Yeah? Can I ask you why? I I get along really well with Ange, but mm. he's so hard to read. <laughs> yeah. You never know what he's going to give you. So you've got to be completely on your toes, mm. especially post-game. Um, uh, even if he's if he won a game, you just, you just never know what you're going mm. to get. So you've really got to be prepared for anything with Ange. Um, so... Uh, I don't mean that in a, in a bad way, yeah, yeah, yeah. in a really good way, but you, you, you always have to be at your very best <laughs> when, you're, when you're interviewing. Yeah. What makes you angry? My team losing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good. Well, Geelong's been all right in, the, in recent times, Geelong so you're pretty happy. Good. Juventus has been, been good. This, oh, well, this uh, season. And uh, when Italy loses, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, last one. You picked to play for Italy in the European final. Now, judging what people have said about you, it's, it's not too far off. Um, would you rather score the winning goal in extra time or save the winning penalty in a shootout? Well, I was a very poor goalkeeper in my time. So, um, now I played I played in goals for my adult adult part of my career when I yep. realised that uh, I couldn't play outfield and at, at a decent level. So, for me, definitely saving the winning penalty, saving a penalty that wins the tournament, um, yep. having spent a lot of time with the gloves on, would be uh, the number one for me. Good answer. I'll do that too. Zappers, absolute pleasure, mate. I can't thank you enough for coming on and having a chat, mate. And uh, hopefully, we can catch up for another beer soon. I would love that. Thanks so much for having me on. No worries, mate. Thank you. Speak soon.